Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16, so let's go ahead and go there. As we want to engage in a study, I call this Search for the Church. Lord willing, next week we're going to get back and teaching through the book of Ephesians, but I still feel kind of like we're on the heels of Easter. And so I wanted to kind of take one more Sunday to talk about what happened after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, some of the significant events and teachings that took place during that 50-day time span from the day that he defeated death until the day that the church was publicly born. And so if you were here last week, you might remember that we went all, all the way back to Palm Sunday. And I kind of want to bring up those six events, if that's okay. We went over Palm Sunday way back in, you know, a few weeks ago. And that was the day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a donkey. You guys might remember that. That was the day uh, that was described or prophesied in Daniel 9, 25, 173,880 days to the very day, April 6, 32 AD, that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 is also a prophecy that that fulfilled. So just in case you're here or maybe you're watching online and you're an atheist or you're a Gnostic and you're wondering, well, how do we know the Bible is supernatural? Well, one of the ways, among many, but one of the ways is the prophetic aspect of it. 25% of the Bible is prophetic. And so think about that one right there. There were 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his first coming. That first one, when he entered into Jerusalem on that donkey, Psalm 118, Daniel 9.25, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it predicted to the very day that Jesus would come in. And so that way we would know. What ends up happening is we realize that this is fact. This is factual information. Jesus died on a cross. He rose from the grave. It's fact. And then when you place your faith in him, God comes into your life and you're saved. And so it's really cool. We went over that. We went over the crucifixion. That's Good Friday. Another interesting uh, event that was actually predicted in the Bible. Psalm 22, verse 16 says, they pierced my hands and my feet. And that was before crucifixion was even invented by the Phoenicians. And so uh, David wrote it, 700 BC. They pierced my hands, my feet. The whole Psalm is about Jesus on the cross and so we went over that, Isaiah 53, same thing, the suffering servant who bore our sins. He died as a sacrifice for our sins. Daniel 9, 26, it says this, the Messiah would be cut off, but not for himself. And so the whole concept of Messiah, the Christ, he, he would one day die, but he wouldn't die for himself. And what that's in reference to is the fact that our Messiah, our Mashiach, Jesus Christ, died for our sins. And so we went over Palm Sunday, we went over the crucifixion, we went over the resurrection, another prophecy in Psalm 1610, where David said, you won't allow my soul, my body to see corruption. You won't allow my, you won't leave me there in Hades, nor see my, my body to see corruption. And you know what we know is that David's body did decay, but it was a prophecy quoted frequently in the book of Acts in which it was speaking about Jesus' body, how he would rise from the grave as well. And that makes sense if he's God, right? If he's God, the Messiah, he would defeat death, conquer the coffin, you know, gut the grave. And so we went over those things. But now today I want to go over the next three, and that is the Great Commission, the, the ascension of Jesus into heaven, 
And then the unction or the anointing that took place in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came. Because we had Easter, it was a blessing. You guys probably did your egg hunts. You probably had carne asada. You did all that kind of stuff. You dressed up, right? And then if you wanted to, you could just go right on and forget about it. But we can't forget about it because what happened during that 50-day span, certain events, and this isn't everything, but they're significant because what it'll do for us, it'll, it'll make us stronger. As a church, we need to be stronger. I mean, can you believe we're actually having a dialogue that the Supreme Court, you know, and the Supreme Courts of each uh, state are actually having a dialogue? I mean, take yourself back to Jesus' day, if you would, and there's a young lady there, and she's pregnant, but she doesn't want to keep her baby. So someone says, hey, here, here's a pill. Just take the pill and you can kill it. I mean, how Jesus, the, the days, and those, that's ludicrous. Who, why, why is there even a conversation about this among the highest courts of the land? I mean, you look at what's happening to so much of the world that we live in, you know, just how they're capitulating to culture, how they're going against the grain of who God is. And, you know, it frustrates us sometimes. And, you know, we might say, well, let's do that, this, and the other. And the answer, however, might be different than what you might suspect. The answer to help the world is to be the church. And this is why as we look at this, I'm like, Lord, these are the things that we need to do. We need to understand what the Great Commission is. We need to understand the significance of that ascension when Jesus rose and then he, you know, all authority, seated at the right hand of the Father, ready to return. All those things come into play. The the great unction, we're going to see what God does when he anointed the church and how that was what made the difference. Because the CEO of Disney or Amazon or whoever it might be, when those individuals or people around them or whatever, teachers, governors, presidents, people, churches start rising up, getting saved, preaching the gospel, that's what will change our country. We don't want to just change it from the outside in. We want to change it from the inside out. So we'll do everything we can. And if you guys saw this last Tuesday, there was a a stream that the guys did regarding how we can be proactive and contract our legislators. And we need to do that. And like I told you guys before, some of you need to start running for uh, office and you need to get involved in school boards and local, you know, things, right? But at the same time, while we're doing that, we're doing everything we can We also need to just be the church. That's how we can impact this world because I have a concern for our little ones. Our little ones are watching these, you know, movies. Maybe they shouldn't even be watching them anymore because the agenda is woven so deeply within them. So we really need, uh, in these days that we're living in, we need to really make sure that we are the church. Now, the things that we're looking at today, again, it's not exhaustive information, but we are going to look from Palm Sunday all the way to Pentecost because I believe those 50 days, those final 50 days can help us as a church. And again, I don't say that for selfish reasons because at the end of the day, if the church thrives as a church, what will happen? If we're strong as a church, what will happen? Well, the lost will be found. The brokenhearted will be healed. Families will stay together. Marriages will be mended. Prodigals will return. The lonely people of the world who have lost all hope 
will hear about the Lord who loves them. And you want to know what will happen? They will be anchored in that hope. Now, last week, there was a, a person who came forward to receive Christ into his heart. And it was just so cool because kind of listening to the story, here was a, a person who didn't want to live anymore, didn't want to live. And I thank God for his friends that invited him to church, brought him forward, and then it was such a blessing to be able to talk and then be able to share with him, no, there is someone who, who loves you. God loves you. Jesus died for you. And we're able to share, and just right there and then, he accepted the Lord into his life. See, this is what God wants to do, to give hope to the hopeless. Last night, I was blessed to attend an event put on by Options, which is a ministry dedicated to be there for moms and dads experiencing unplanned pregnancies, and to even be there for those who've had abortions in the past. And so it's kind of cool. In the time allotted, they elaborated on the things that they simply do from day to day. And so it it was a blessing to hear. But as I'm listening, I'm realizing that really all they're doing is simply being the church. That's all. You know, to to, to love people into the kingdom, you know, to share with them the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a church, and then I'm so blessed that we have parachurch ministries, you know. You guys, a while back, you gave an offering. We did that one Sunday, and it was so blessed, your generosity. You were able to give, like, over $500 to options, or $500 to whosoever, $1,000 to the people out there that are suffering in, in the war, or in, you know, war-torn places, you know. And it's just so cool to see these parachurch ministries that God brings alongside the church so that we can actually hopefully make a difference in the world. And so in the book of Genesis chapter 24, you guys don't have to turn there, but you guys might remember the story when uh, Abraham sent out uh, his unnamed servant, we now know as Eliezer, but in the chapter it doesn't identify his name, and he went looking for a bride for his son. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing now. He's looking, searching for the church. And so for us, it has a double meaning. Number one, Lord, I'm going to be looking for people that I can hopefully bring with me as I'm on my way to heaven, right? That's part of that. I'm looking for the bride in that sense. But then another sense, just the question is, is are we really the church as we're looking? You know, just because an individual attends church doesn't mean they are really the church or really saved. You know, you might have been brought up and you got all the sacraments and baptized and canonized and hypnotized and all that kind of stuff. That doesn't mean that you're saved. So we're searching, Lord, are are we really the church? And so these things, I think, are they can help us. Again, like I said, it's not exhaustive, but man, my, my prayer is that you would shine bright. And you would be so salty as a preservative and as one who would create thirst in others that they also would be saved. And so I actually want to start real quick. This is kind of a side note here in Matthew 16. Notice what we read in verse 13. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And so they said, well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others uh, are one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? 
And so Jesus here, you, man, I wish you can go to Israel with us. If you can go, if you can swing it, man, I'm telling you, it is worth not drinking Starbucks for a long time and, you know, recycling and all that kind of stuff, man. But uh, it's, if you can go with us to Israel, you'll go to Caesarea Philippi and you'll see this massive stone that's right there. And they had these pagan uh, churches carved into them. And then they have one right here, it's Pan. And this is where they, they, they considered the gates of hell or Hades. And they would throw their children in there. They'd throw their sacrifices in there. And so anyways, you're there and Jesus is there in Caesarea Philippi. And he's saying, well, who do people say that I am? What's the word out there about me? Oh, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, some John the Baptist, one of the prophets. Okay, cool. Jesus said and said, but who do you say that I am? And so he made it personal. And so let me just share with you, just in case you didn't know this, this is the most important question you will ever answer in your life. In your life, who do you say Jesus is? Is he a typical teacher, passing prophet, a random rabbi? Some people are so fooled by the enemy that they say, oh, he didn't even exist. Or they don't even think about it. Let me tell you something, man. This right here is huge. You know, the evidence we have, there's no one like Jesus who changed the world through love. And so here, who do you say, who do you say Jesus is? And here we have the answer. We read in verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And he got the answer right because Jesus said in verse 17, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. You know, Jesus asked the question, well, who do you say that I am? Personally, Peter, he's, you know, the courageous guy, the spokesman for the bunch. The Lord revealed to him, the Father gave him a supernatural revelation, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Just in case you're wondering who Jesus is, this is the answer right here. Now, one of the things that we have to make sure we, don't, we, you know, we get squared away is Jesus Christ is not a cuss word. I mean, in the movies it is, Jesus Christ, they say it with absolute blasphemy. No, Jesus Christ, it's the title. You know, in those days, they didn't have last names. They'd say Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus, the son of Joseph or Jesus, the carpenter. They would use terms like that. But in this case, what we find is Jesus's first name. Christ is his title. Now, if you didn't know what Christ is, Christ is the Greek version of the Hebrew version, Messiah or Mashiach. And all that means, in case you're wondering, Christ in Greek Mashiach in Hebrew is anointed one. So Jesus is the anointed one spoken of in the Old Testament. Like I mentioned earlier, over 300 prophecies regarding his first coming that he fulfilled over and over again from the beginning, even way back in Genesis chapter 3, eventually the Messiah, the Savior would come. And so he's the anointed prophet, priest, and king. The anointed prophet means that his message is flawless. The anointed priest means he's the mediator. And the anointed king means he's the majesty. And one day we're going to see, we'll talk about it later, he's going to come again to rule the world. And so it's so cool knowing who he is. My, my question is, do you realize that? Have you, uh, have you come to that realization in your own life? You know, here we see you know, Peter gives the answer 
because the Father had given him a revelation. And then the Lord says this in verse 18, and, I, and also I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And so in the Greek language, the Lord says, and you are our Petros, it's a, it's a little rock, piece of a rock, and on this Petra, I will build my church. And so the church wasn't built on Peter, it was built on Jesus. Jesus is the foundation of the church, the fact that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, right? And so if you're there in Caesarea Philippi, you're watching the whole thing, you're listening to what Jesus says, and he says, uh, you are, are, are the little rock on this big rock, and then you look over there, and I'm telling you this, because you see a picture, and you're like, well, that's pretty impressive. It ain't nothing like being there. And you're like, whoa, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell, there it is right there, it will not prevail against it. And it's really cool because even that, you're wondering, what does he mean by that? There's three versions or there's three interpretations. One believes that it's in reference to the demons that come out. So the demons that come out of hell will not prevail against it. And to be honest, like I think even sometimes in the world, uh, especially, and even maybe infiltrating into the church, sometimes those demons, those demons, man, they start getting a foothold on people's lives. And and what God is saying is, no, when you're the church, it it won't prevail. I will build my church and the, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. You know, here Jesus is talking about the, the evil that, that, that pours out of the gates. Another version, another translation talks about how his death would prevent the work of, of his uh, work would prevent the, just death itself having victory. And of course, we know Jesus Christ has given us uh, the resurrection from the dead. And another interesting translation or interpretation of that is in ancient times, the gates of the, the city were where they made their strategies. Like um, in those days, you'd go to the gates of the city, they'd make decisions. They'd even strategize for war right there in the very gates. And so maybe what Jesus is saying is that the demons, when they're getting together and they're thinking about your family or thinking about whatever, this church, as they're strategizing against us, they won't prevail because Jesus is the one that is building this church. And so you really have to make sure that you enter in to the church because it's not just the building. Are you really born again? Are we really the church? And, And then not only that, because Paul talks about how some Christians are carnal. Are we really like shining as the church should? Are we living as the church should? And so let's look at these things that I talked about on the list right here. There's going to be nine things, if you want to write them down, that I think are kind of healthy aspects to the church. And so the first, let's go to Matthew chapter 28. What happened between the resurrection and the inception of the church? What happened between the resurrection and the public conception of the church? And, And here we see one thing that happened is the Great Commission. Look at verse 18, Matthew 28, it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now, we, last week we went over the fact that this is probably the time where there were 500 people present. Because even before Jesus rose from the dead, he said, after I rise, I'll meet you in Galilee. After I rise, I'll meet you in Galilee. When Jesus rose, the angels told the ladies, tell everybody to meet him in Galilee. When Jesus himself appeared to the ladies, he said, tell everybody to meet me in Galilee. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says there was one time where there was 500 people that appeared to Jesus. I mean, Jesus appeared to them at one time and he says, you know, this is 25 years after the resurrection. Most of them are still alive. And so uh, just a whole bunch of witnesses there, because sometimes think people think, well, the Great Commission, that's for Billy Graham, or that's for Greg Laurie, or for, that's for just for the pastor. No, the Great Commission is for all of us, all of us. And so the Lord right here, he says, this is what you need to do. Manny, this is why you live. This is why you live. Not just to have fun. I know you like quesadillas, but it's not just about food. <laughs> Manny, I want you to make disciples. And, and at the end of the day, making disciples of all nations, I don't want to say, well, this is you know, the formula for it. Um, we have some principles that are listed here, but one of the things, because we wonder, well, what is a disciple? A disciple is a committed follower of Jesus Christ. A disciple is a pupil, a student, a learner of Jesus who walks with him, lives with him, and eventually becomes like him. And so how can you make disciples? I will say this, among other things, uh, the heart of it is to love people. Love people the same way God loved you. And so we're going to, you know, God will show you how to love people, man. And sometimes it's just the ministry of presence, just the ministry of being there. And sometimes it's brain for them and you name it. But he also mentions a few things right here that are going to help us as a church. Uh, number one in the list of nine things, because we're motivated by love, a healthy church preaches the gospel. A healthy church will preach the gospel. You, you will preach the gospel. You will go to your friend as they're hurting, and sometimes they just they know they're a sinner. You might not have to tell them. They probably already know they're a sinner and they're hurting, but that's part of the gospel. They got to know they're a sinner, right? Uh, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Have you guys sinned? If you said no, then you sinned right there, right, by lying. <laughs> We've all sinned, and the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the Bible says the gift of God is eternal life. The gospel is found in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 and forward that Jesus died for us on the cross. He died for our sins. He rose again. And if you believe by faith on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're here today and you're not saved, all you have to do is acknowledge you're a sinner in need of a Savior. His name is Jesus. He died on a cross for you. He rose again. And if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today, you can be saved. See, we can preach that here. You can preach that uh, on your lunch hour when you're with your you know, co-worker or whatever. I mean, you name it. You can preach it at home. So this is part of making the disciples. We are to go out and, and, and Mark chapter 16 in, in verse 15 says, preach the gospel 
to every creature. Luke 24, uh, 47, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in, the name, in his name to all nations, right? And so my encouragement to you is to make sure that you're, we're doing this and that we're uh, being a disciple, we're making a disciple of others. And then as we look at this, it's interesting. The second thing we see is here, a healthy church is going to be involved in baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so you guys remember we used to do that, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I'm grateful for my Catholic background because they taught me the Trinity. And that's a very important doctrine, right? But I will say this, as far as being baptized, I think maybe I didn't emphasize it enough, uh, just kind of growing up and, hey, we'll do a baptism in the summer. No, if you're here and you're a Christian, you should be baptized. Because you read the book of Acts, when they got saved, they got baptized, right? Hey, what hinders me from being baptized? The Ethiopian eunuch said in the book of Acts chapter 8. Or remember the Philippian jailer? Man, the moment he got saved, he got baptized, him and his entire family. And so it wasn't like they were waiting, well, yeah, I would like to get baptized one day, you know, when the weather's right and we got a nice, you know, heated pool or something like that, you know. No, there's something about baptism. That's why he even says in the Gospel of Mark, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Now, again, doesn't mean that we're saved by baptized, but what it means is that it shows, it shows you're saved. Because when you get baptized, what are you doing? You're telling the whole world, you're making a public confession. You are saying, yes, I am a follower of Jesus Christ and I am not ashamed of the gospel. You know, the baptism, you know, symbolizes the old man dying and the new man rising, it says in the book of Romans chapter 6. Peter says it symbolizes us washing away our sins. Now, again, I don't want to split hairs over this, and you might have a different theology than me, but I believe that if you were an infant when you got baptized, in my opinion, it doesn't count because that was a decision that your parents made for you. See, when you read the Bible, you don't see that. I I believe that there were people who were old enough to make a decision and to say, yes, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I know the gospel and I know I need him. You know, when Jesus got baptized in Luke chapter three, he was 30 years old. In Jesus got baptized in Luke chapter three, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And so there is something significant about this. And so that's why uh, Greg had mentioned in our app, there's a little button right there. If you need to get baptized, please, let's do this. Because I believe that might be something that is necessary for you to be stronger in your walk. You got to tell the world and even tell yourself, I really am a Christian. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. And so, you know, the days are warming up. Hey, let's do this. Man, I remember one time, Craig, it was even a nighttime. It was a midweek service. And he realized that when he was younger and got baptized, he didn't know what he was doing. Now he was older. And so he said, I want to get baptized. I mean, it was nine o'clock at night. I'm like, come on, bro. He's like, no, I want to get baptized. You know how Craig talks, right? <laughs> and yeah, sure enough, we went down there and we got, he got baptized. I mean, you guys, 
If you're here and you're a Christian and you're not baptized, please, I beg of you, this is part of the Great Commission, and we got to start doing this more frequently. Let me know. Sign up. Let's do this, right? The third thing we see is a healthy church teaches the Word. And that's what you read here in the Great Commission, verse 20, Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And so that means that we have to teach the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and not just teaching the whole Bible, but he says right there, teaching them to observe it, teaching them to do it. Manny, as a pastor, you as a church, all of you teachers that are out there, sometimes you're teaching your kids, you're teaching them to be an obedient people. And so it's a really cool thing when you look at the Great Commission and just making disciples. You know, I've told you guys last week, I mentioned the fact that I think making disciples starts with your family. And so, Lord, give me wisdom, you know, for my spouse. Or if you're single, you know, the Lord will show you friends. Or if you have kids, Lord, give me wisdom how to make my children disciples. And a lot of that, like I said earlier, has to do with loving them. But God will give you the divine details on how to bring them to that place to where they are committed followers of Jesus Christ. But it starts in your family, and then it goes on to the flock. And so you guys are part of a church, and like I mentioned earlier, you're praying for us. And some of you are even donating because you're part of it, and you're serving, and you're in the nursery, in a children's ministry, or wherever it might be. Those kids are being discipled in the nursery, and in the children's ministry, in the youth ministry ministry they're being discipled there in the men's ministry young adults ministry the women's ministry it's cool to see how even uh, just it's intricately woven into the makeup of the church that the lord is discipling people and making them committed followers of jesus christ but again like i said family and then the flock like these guys who are here serving the lord they're doing their part they're leading us in worship and they're doing their part in discipling the whole church so all of us have to do our part that's what we're talking about making disciples that's how it's done we find our part family flock and then the third thing what i would say is the front lines and so you're out there in your workplace in your neighborhood wherever it might be as the holy spirit has you uh, i believe with all my heart you know wherever you are it's not a mistake it's your assignment that's where god has you not just to make money but to make disciples and it's just so cool to see because as the holy spirit leads then you share the Lord. Next thing you know, you're helping someone grow in their relationship with God or people just come into your life and they become your friends. And next thing you know, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. You're discipling each other. It's really cool. I always tell people they should always have a Timothy in their life, someone younger that they're pouring into, and you should always have a Barnabas in your life, someone older that's pouring into you. And so if you're here and you're not a committed follower of Jesus Christ, if you're here and not a disciple, please let us know. Sign up for that. Or make sure you're involved in one of these things and you check with God. And then not only you being discipled, but also you uh, discipling. And so one thing I want to say real quick in that, because sometimes people get weird. Huh? You guys notice that? (laughs) So um, Luke 6, verse 40, it says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly, be, be perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Now, here's the thing that I want to share with you. Like I said, a committed follower of Jesus Christ, 
But, but, but really, the ultimate goal is that you, when you're discipled, you're a student, you're a disciple, not of John, not of the Pharisees. There's a, there's a time in there where they even said they were disciples of Moses. No, you're disciples of who? Jesus. And so make sure that if you got somebody pouring into your life, that they don't clone you into their image. Absolutely not. No, that's not what we're supposed to do. Hey, you got to be like me. Hey, get out of town, clown. You, that's how you talk to them. They don't do that. No, we are supposed to be like Jesus, not that person. Okay, so make sure we understand that. So there, there's the, 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 the great commission. And then in Acts chapter 1, there's the ascension. There's the ascension. And so go there if you would. What happened between the resurrection and the inception of the church. I mean, they didn't really have to record this. They could have just said Jesus went to heaven. But notice what we read here in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 9. It says, Now when he had spoken these things, uh, while they watched, he, Jesus, was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. You guys know who those two men were? They were angels, right? Who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And so real quick, um, the next thing on the list of nine things, number four is a healthy church knows that Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father. And so uh, Psalm 110, verse 1, the Bible says, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. In Daniel 7, 13 through 14, you have the Son of Man coming to the Ancient of Days. And with the Ancient of Days, who is the Father, he gives to the Son of Man, who is Jesus, all authority, all authority. And so when we're talking about Jesus ascending into heaven, we have to know, a healthy church knows that when Jesus did ascend into heaven, that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And what that's in reference to is all the authority that he has. It's all been given to him by his Father. And so one of the things that, that, that you know, we saw even just previously in the Gospel of Matthew is that's significant because Jesus said there in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go make disciples and all that kind of stuff. And he said, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And you're here and you're like, I can't disciple my, my spouse. I can't disciple my kids. They, they won't get saved and they won't get sanctified. I can't do this. I can't do this great commission. Time out, time out. Jesus is with you. All authority has been given to us. And this is why we, as we're looking at this stuff, the gates of Hades will not prevail. Don't be a quitter. Don't cop out and be lame and say, well, you know, it's up to them. They have to make their own decision. Yeah, it's true. But man, are you giving everything you have with the authority that God's given to you? See, Jesus rose, seated at the right hand of the Father, all authority given to him, and he is with you as you're endeavoring to accomplish this great commission, not only that, it says that Jesus rose, went to the right hand of the Father, and you know what he did? He sat down. He sat down. And you're like, well, what's the big deal? Sitting down, what's the big deal? Maybe he was tired. 
No, it's more than that. Hebrews 1, verse 3. Hebrews 10, 11, and 12. Let's go to Hebrews 10. And all these verses are good, but I just don't want to keep you guys over time. Hebrews chapter 10, it actually gives us the whole point of Hebrews is that Jesus is great. He's greater than angels, greater than Moses, greater than Joshua, greater than the Levitical covenant, greater than all the priests in the Old Testament. So it's really an awesome book all about Jesus. But in Hebrews chapter 10, notice what it says in verse 11, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, capital M in reference to Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And so what the writer of Hebrews is is saying that those priests of the Old Testament just kept working, kept sacrificing, because in all reality, it was just a kofar, it was just a covering of their sins. It wasn't really forgiving their sins, and so they had to continue to work and work and work and work. But Jesus, when he offered his own blood, he was able to sit down. Why? Because the work is done. And a healthy church knows that. Imagine if I made you guys stand up through the whole service. You'd be like, man, I ain't going back to that church, man. They make you stand up. Well, I mean, you know, because, you know, we get tired, man. But we're working, working, working. The priests are working. Religion is always working. Isn't it cool to know that when you place your faith in Jesus, that you are forgiven? And when he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. To tell us thy debt paid in full. See, healthy churches, they know that. Jesus is up there with authority. Jesus is up there, sat down because he finished the work. And not only that, he's interceding for us. And then number six, a healthy church knows that Christ is returning at the right time. So Christ has ascended to the right hand. Christ is seated at the right hand. And Christ is returning at the right time. If you go back to Acts, um, where we were just in Acts chapter 1, You guys probably already noticed this, but I just want to draw your attention one more time to what the angels said in Acts chapter 1, in verse 9. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And so they literally saw him go up, and he... uh, he went through the cloud, so to speak, and then they couldn't see him anymore. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, and so they were kind of still looking up, uh, behold, uh, two men, these are angels, stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? Here it is, this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, right here it says, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And what that is and what I've noticed is healthy Christians, healthy churches, they are aware of the fact that Jesus is coming and his his return is imminent. You know, maybe, I don't know how they were feeling. You know, maybe they're thinking like, man, I can't believe he just left. 
You know, I think he really left us. I remember some of you guys have had people walk out on you. I remember, still remember, like it was yesterday, the day that my dad walked out, you know, and I'm, he's, I'm holding on to his leg. I don't know how I'm three, four years old, and he walks out until eventually he shakes me off, and then he's gone, just walks out of my life. And so they're, maybe they're thinking, well, Jesus is leaving us. But the angel said, it's okay. He's coming again. And for us, living in the times that we're living in, I think that that's really important for us. We see the signs everywhere. We have to know he's coming again. There's something about that that purifies us, the Bible says. You know, the the last thing in Acts chapter 2, look what it says in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Something like that. <laughs> and, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so, again, not a lot of time, but let me just give you this real quick. Although it's so important, I encourage you to read these passages. Uh, a healthy church is, is patient and pure in power. And so the Lord told them in Luke twenty four forty nine, tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And so they went, and for 10 days they were praying. In the upper room, they're all with one accord, and they were praying. They didn't give up after the first day. Well, we've been praying for a whole day and the Holy Spirit hasn't come. It's been two days, three days, four days. You know, who knows how their prayer meetings were going, man. But they were patient and they were waiting on the Lord and they were pure. And there's something about the Holy Spirit that requires holiness from our life. Don't expect the power of the Holy Spirit if you don't have a heart to live holy. And so we have to, number one, make sure we don't doubt the Holy Spirit? Do you believe that this power is available to us, the personal power of the Holy Spirit, as we see right here in the book of Acts that completely transformed Peter from this one guy over here who denied the Lord three times, the last time to a a young lady, I don't know the man, to now preaching on the day of Pentecost before all these people. What could change a person like that? Only the personal power of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord said, I promise you, I will give you this power. And so day one, day two, day three, day four, I don't know how long it will take. Ten is kind of a symbolic number in the Bible. Man, you know, we got to know this is available to us. Patient, pure power. Secondly, a healthy church prays for power. That's what they were doing. Listen, if you're here today and your Christianity is boring, it's because you're not walking with God the way you should. My encouragement to you is to make sure you're in the Word, you're in fellowship, you're serving God, you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and don't ever give up on your prayer life. You know, I was talking to a lady the other day, and she was telling me that she has a hard time praying because all her kids are little traviesos. That's what she didn't say those exact words, but something like that. They're younger. And so I told her, you know what? It's, I know that's a challenge. And I said, the Bible does say that God will gently lead those who are young. But I was mentioning to her, I think it was uh, Susanna Wesley. I'm not sure. I think she had 17 children. And so when it was her time to spend with God, you know what she would do? She would just put a blanket over her head. <laughs> now, I don't know still how it worked, you know, but I will, I will say this, man, she gets an A for effort. 
because she knew the importance of prayer. And you will never, we will never experience this life, this abundant life, until we become obedient in our prayer life. And this is why, you know, things are even changing here. Like the Lord has been convicting me, Manny, you got to baptize people like all the time. If they got saved today and they want to get baptized, go baptize them this week, next week, whatever it is. We need to be doing these things and we need to be opportunities. There needs to be opportunities for more prayer. And I know you guys are praying at home and stuff. And we have a Saturday morning prayer for the men. Praise God for that. But now before services, um, you know, Sundays and, you know, both services beforehand, there'll be a time, a half an hour. If we start praying as a church, if people show up for that with a heart to pray, you will see you will see God move. You will see it. But I'm telling you this, that in the past, what I've seen, unfortunately, is the first week, 10 people show up. The second week, five people show up. And then for the rest, you know, the next three months, it's the same five people. This is why we're not seeing this. So it's something I pray that God would stir up in your heart. Lord, if it's going to be, if there's going to be power, we need to be patient. We need to be praying. And then number nine, a healthy church experiences this power. Ephesians 5 verse 18, it says, don't be drunk with wine in which is a wasted life, but be filled or drunk or under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It's a different life. I've noticed it. There's been a couple of victories the Lord's given me lately, man. You ever had that times where like someone says something to you and you just want to say something back? <laughs> Have you ever had that? And then you just kind of like, mm, Lord, I love you. You know, you're like that. <laughs> and then afterwards you think about it and you're like, man, I just got major victory because right now the devil was trying to start a fire in my house. And so the Lord will give us that life. It's completely different. This is just the church. Nothing, I know we might look at it and think it's, it's radical, but in all reality, it's fundamental. And I know you have a heart for the world that we live in. I understand that. But this is how we do it. And, and it's so, so cool. And I don't know what's going to happen, but the whole church has to be the church. Because you guys know, right, we're different parts of the body. It can't just be, you know, Pastor Manny or Pastor Henry or Shelly or whoever it might be. No, it has to be the whole church. Because right now my knee's messed up and I'm mad at it. (laughs) But you know what? God will work in us. It's this walk that we have with the Lord. I'll close with one last story I I, I heard this week. It was about um, a, a man who had a business and I guess the business wasn't doing so well. So he, one day he went, uh, I guess apparently he knew uh, this wealthy individual with the last name of Rothschild. And some of you guys probably know that guy, a wealthy banker, filthy rich. Apparently he was here in New York. And so this young businessman goes to him and he says, Mr. Rothschild, uh, I need your help. Uh, my businesses are not doing well. They're floundering and so Mr. Rothschild says, young man, put your jacket on, puts his jacket back on, and they just walk through the New York Stock Exchange, and then they come back into his office, and then uh, they sit down, and they proceed to have a conversation, 
And the young man says, well, sir, I, I need your help. I, I need you to help me with my business. And Rothschild said, I just did. I just did. When they see you walk with me, you watch the business that comes your way. Sure enough, true story, the man had so much business he could not handle it. And I think that's kind of the way it works in the church. All we have to do in all reality is walk with Jesus. Walk with him. Truly walk with him. Not a pretend thing, not a superficial thing, not a half-hearted thing, but I'm talking about walking with the Lord in your life. When we do that, man, that right there is all that's necessary for us to live that successful life as a church that God wants for us. And so if you're here and as a Christian, um, prayerfully, it just brings us up a little more uh, just to devote every aspect of my life to him, engaged in evangelism, discipleship, Lord, prayer, show us how to do these things. But if you're here and maybe you drifted away from God, today's the day, my prayer, you come back to him. If you're here and you're not a Christian, this is the most important decision we ever make. Who is Jesus to you? Is he your Lord and Savior? Did he die on the cross for your sins and rise again? Have you decided to follow Jesus? Have you decided to accept him as the Lord and Savior of your life? If you haven't, I pray that right here, right now, you would do that.